This is the Commodity Culture Podcast, where we interview prominent investors, fund managers, analysts, and company CEOs to give you an edge when it comes to investing in the commodity space. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Commodity Culture, where our goal is to make you a better investor in the commodity space. My name is Jesse Day, and as always, standard disclaimer, nothing here is investment advice. Do your own due diligence. And today's guest is the sales and marketing manager at AppMex and OneGold, a platform that gives users direct ownership of vaulted gold, silver, and platinum at an ultra-low cost. We're going to talk about the gold and silver markets as well as getting his thoughts on the future of digital precious metals. It's Levi Gunter. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Thank you for being here. So I want to start with taking a look back on 2023. How do you view the performance thus far of gold and silver at this time? Did anything surprise you? Did things go as planned? Um, What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I view the performance, at least so far, of gold pretty positively. Uh, just looking year to date, gold, I believe it started the year around 1825. Um, and last I checked this morning, it was just below 2000. So just a little quick math, that's around 10% or about 9.5% um, higher for the year. So yeah, overall, despite some headwinds uh, via higher interest rates, which I think were uh, more prevalent last year, I think gold's performed quite well. I don't really think it's any secret why at this point. I mean, clearly it's enjoyed some safe haven inflows. Uh, if you look at the chart, it's going to be immediately obvious gold's best days were on the heels of some of these uh, more catalyzing events like bank failures in March and here more recently uh, with the attacks on Israel. So yeah, overall, despite some headwinds, I think it's performing uh, quite well. Um, silver, similarly, have has had some quote unquote, good days uh, like gold, uh, but really just hasn't been able to hang on to the gains to the same extent. So I think over the years, we've grown to expect more volatility from silver and it's delivered. I also think silver has been a little bit, little bit more sensitive to uh, upswings in, in the U.S. dollar. So as a result, again, just checking this morning, the year to date, Data silver is around twenty three seventy, which is is flat or maybe a little bit lower on the year. So yeah, on the whole, uh, I think uh, gold performed quite well, uh, and and silver maybe disappointed just a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's also important to think of gold in non U.S. dollar terms because it's screaming consistently to new all time highs in places like Japan when compared with the Japanese yen and other countries as well that have experienced very high inflation rates. So in that sense, it has definitely protected purchasing power over the course of the year. I wonder if you can reveal what you're seeing at AppMex when it comes to retail buying a physical gold and silver. I I spoke a little bit about the one gold platform, but you also work at AppMex, which sells physical gold and silver. Would you be able to shed some light on how much buying you saw at AppMex and how 2023 uh, compared to other years as well. Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, really, broadly speaking, in terms of sales, uh, both Atmex and One Gold started 2023 off looking um, a little more like 2019, which is not to say it was a bad thing. It was just a little more normal. Um, so I think we sort of grew accustomed to record quarter after record quarter of sales after 2020. 
um, and, and 2023 didn't start off that way. I think that quickly changed around, I would say, March 10th. So as you could imagine, when uh, headlines surfaced about the SVB going under receivership, uh, we, you know, volumes quickly picked up at that point. Uh, for one golden Atmex alike, we were hearing a lot from our customers at that point who had just grown a little weary of holding liquidity in the bank and, and really just saw gold as kind of a natural solution to that. So quickly, uh, March became Atmex's best month, at least in terms of sales and its, you know, 23 plus year history. And, and same for one gold. We had a record month as well. Um, so that was certainly an interesting development that kind of came somewhat out of the blue. Uh, and, and then I would say since then, volumes have uh, normalized somewhat. Um, probably one of the more, I would say, noteworthy trends from the Atmex side, at least, is coming from their retail buyback side. So where they're actually buying uh, physical metals back from customers. So if you look at uh, 2023 versus the same time period last year, Atmex is reporting about a 45% increase in purchasing dollars spent. Again, dollars going back to customers. And if you compare this year uh, to 2021, there's been about 130% increase in overall buyback orders processed. Um, so to me, that just indicates that customers are really started to take advantage of some of these price swings. Uh, that was kind of probably one of the more noteworthy stats that really stood out for me from either the Atmex or the, or the One Gold side. Well, that's great data to have. I wonder if we could look ahead to 2024 now. When it comes to gold specifically, what do you think are the main catalysts that are going to drive demand? Do you see more um, systemic issues perhaps in the banking sector, in the financial system that could cause more inflows to gold as a safe haven asset? Do you think central bank buying is a big indicator of where the gold price and, and demand could go. Um, what are your thoughts there on, on the main catalyst for gold as we move into 2024? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, in my mind, I don't really, just objectively speaking, I don't see really any shortage of at least potential drivers for, for one gold as, as we head into the next year. Um, for me, I look at just the past couple of years and it just seemed like gold was sort of one kind of catalyzing event away from reversing course and flirting with, if not achieving um, all-time highs. So in 2022, obviously, that was the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, this past year, as I mentioned earlier, it was the banking crisis and then the recent uh, geopolitical upheaval in, in the Middle East. And depending on your outlook, any number of similar things could easily pop up uh, again in 2024. And then in addition to the unknown, I, I think you have events that are just historically bullish for gold that are becoming more and more likely. I'm, I, I'm thinking of like maybe a Fed pivot. OK, so um, the last I checked on the CME's uh, Fed watch tool, there was something like a 30 percent chance of a Fed rate cut in, in March, which is historically um, in March 24, I should say, which is historically um, bullish for gold. And you know, a recession. That's also something we're talking about here, at least in the U.S. I know that in recent weeks, at least the Fed is leaning more and more towards a quote unquote soft landing. And um, I'm sure your audience is aware that the Fed's been wrong at least a couple times in, in recent history. So really just depending on your outlook, um, as unfortunate as a recession would be, what may also be bullish for gold. So 
Um, in my mind, any of those drivers could easily emerge in 2024 alone, if not in combination with another one. Really just kind of depends on your outlook, but uh, certainly time will tell. And let's uh, discuss silver as well. Same question. And I'm wondering if you think the, the monetary aspect of silver will drive more demand from the retail crowd, or if you think, you know, we're hearing a lot about increased industrial demand for silver, particularly when it comes to the solar panel sector. I wonder if you put much emphasis on that aspect of the thesis and how you might see the industrial demand uh, for silver potentially increasing or not um, in 2024. Yeah, another good question. I, I do. I think our customers also, um, to some degree, read the writing on the wall. So if you, if you just look at the data over the past several years, industrial demand certainly accounts for the majority of, of silver demand. It's, it's unlike gold in that matter. Um, and I don't really see, you know, a, a scenario in 2024 where investment demand overtakes that, barring maybe some uh, recession that significantly uh, tempers the need for industrial metal. So, so yeah, especially with green initiatives continue to being pushed, I do think that industrial demand will continue to be strong. And that's, you know, I have spoken with uh, a lot of customers. So just anecdotally, like I said earlier, customers are very sharp on these issues. They they are very well aware that there have been physical silver deficits last year and, and this year as well. Um, so, yeah, I think often, again, just speaking with customers, they, they buy silver for many of the same reasons that you might buy gold. So as um, a hedge or a means of wealth preservation. But they, I think they've also identified silver as maybe an asset with Again, maybe a little more upside potential, just as you said, given its its use in industry. I touched on central bank gold accumulation a little bit, but I'd like to get your further thoughts on that because t- both 2022 and 2023 were record-setting years for central bank accumulation of gold. And this was kind of across this, the board. So many different, a huge variety of central banks have been kind of following the same trajectory. Do you expect this trend to continue and do you think 2024 might be a year where we see more institutional inflows to gold and maybe even silver? Sure. Uh, so full transparency, not an expert on, on central bank policy or, or, or buying uh, central bank, you know, buying of gold. But um, yeah, I do know that the World Gold Council has has polled central banks, right? And, and uh, they often cite the same reasons as retail investors might for why they buy gold. So they buy it due to inflationary concerns, they want to offset risk. Uh, gold is a staple of central banks for those reasons and also due um, to its negative correlation with certain currencies like, like the US dollar. So um, given sort of the reasoning why they often buy gold and sort of the backdrop economically and geopolitically speaking, uh, no, I, I wouldn't foresee a slowing in that at least in 2024, I know that central bank buying does account for a massive amount of gold demand. It's it's um, pretty close to where the investment demand might fall in in a given year. So uh, just knowing that much, I, I, I wouldn't anticipate really a, a slowing in that front, at least, you know, for, for the coming year. And do you see institutional inflows coming into gold and maybe silver, hedge funds, pension funds? Um, as we've obviously seen the treasury market, particularly the long duration treasuries, take a beating um, this year. And a lot of people are pointing to the fact that they're no longer the safe haven asset that they used to be. So in a flight to safety scenario, 
do you think institutions might start pivoting and looking towards precious metals instead of treasuries as a, as a safe haven asset? Yeah, I, I think it makes sense too. Um, and and we, we certainly look at things, especially as far as uh, inflows and outflows of some of your major ETFs. And, and we've seen some interesting trends there, right? So on one goal, the, the past several quarters, you know, we've been able to add assets under management. Um, and even amid during sort of a flight to safety, uh, some of these larger ETFs that some of these institutions may use are often shedding assets under management. Um, at the same time, you know, you see sales at the U.S. Mint increase, sales at Atmex increase. So I do think to your point that there's a flight to safety. I, I don't know if it's if the institutional investors are are really catching on to that as much at this point as the retail investors. And I would say that the retail investors are, are being just maybe a little bit more picky as far as how they want their exposure. So uh, they may view uh, ETFs a little bit more negatively and, and something like traditional physical ownership a little more positively. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I want to get your thoughts on the growing trend of de-dollarization. Nations are starting to trade outside of the U.S. dollar. Um, is this a significant development in your view? There's people in different camps on this one. Some people say that this is being grossly over-exaggerated and blown out of proportion, and the U.S. dollar is so far from from showing weakness. Um, others say that, well, the, the U.S. dollar is headed for the end at some point, and we're going to return to a gold standard. You know, your Peter Schiff's, for example, would would have that view. So is this de-dollarization trend um, a significant development in your view? Could it mean a weaker dollar moving forward? And what would that mean for the precious metal space? Sure. So I do, I do think it's a significant development. It certainly is. Um, I think two things can be true at once, though. So um, I, I first kind of try to take a step back and think about why this may be happening or why certain nations may want to sort of uh, decouple from the U.S. dollar, if you will. And it, it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly that um, it's really no secret that at times the U.S. has, has weaponized the U.S. dollar, uh, even though it's the world's reserve currency. So I think more recently, as a result of that, you're seeing some of these BRICS nations uh, with notably large economies like China and India, Brazil, Russia, and, and South Africa, who have not only taken objection to that, but have at least advocated for using their own national currency in lieu of the U.S. dollar, if not putting forth an entirely new currency altogether um, through the BRICS, which is rumored to be at least on some level backed by gold. So I don't think that's an insignificant development at all. Now, I'm, I'm skeptical at the same time of whether or not maybe that currency would be the one to sort of dethrone the U.S. dollar. I think there are, you know, despite the weaknesses there in the U.S. dollar. There's just a lot of obstacles there. Um, so I think that's kind of my take on it. And also, I, I it's not lost on me that that no world reserve currency has ever stood withstood the test of time. So um, I, I don't I don't know if the U.S. dollar will continue to be the world reserve currency or if that changes even in my lifetime. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll certainly see um, what, what's to come there. And let's shift over to digital gold and silver. Last time I spoke with your colleague Patrick Yip on the show, and he was saying that digital gold and silver isn't meant as a replacement necessarily for the physical. In fact, he advocated holding both. Now, when you talk to hardcore gold bugs and silver bugs, they're very averse to the idea just without without even thinking about it. If you don't own it, 
If you don't hold it, you don't own it, of course, as the mantra goes. So maybe you could give us your thoughts on physical gold and silver, the reasons to own it, and any advantages you think it could provide over the physical metal. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I would probably echo some of the same sentiments as maybe Patrick did when he was on your show. I don't I don't view it as an either or solution. I actually think that they both complement each other quite well. Um, I, I personally own both. I, I think many of our customers own both. And, and I think there are advantages either way when you're comparing them against each other. Um, so, so yeah, I think there are probably some advantages to uh, the digital side or, or a vaulted precious metals um, solution like one gold. Uh, so for me as an end user, one thing I look at is, is premiums. Uh, so, you know, right now, if I go to uh, one gold or a similar vaulted solution, um, you know, I'm going to pay about 45 cents or, or 2% over spot for every ounce of silver and, and about $16 or 80 basis points for every ounce of gold. That's just the premium dollars. Um, so that to me is appealing, especially when I compare it to maybe some of the more popular retail products like a gold or silver American Eagle, where you might be paying close to $100 for premiums on a gold eagle right now and about, I, I don't know, five to six dollars on, on silver American eagle. So to me, I think the premiums just allowing me the opportunity to own more metal for my dollar, at least at this stage, is appealing. And a lot of our customers have done just that. And then they'll eventually convert their vaulted assets into a physical delivery when a time comes that premiums are, are perhaps lower. Um, so in my mind, that's that's certainly an advantage, at least at this point in time. I do think that, well, I know many of our customers hold six or seven figures into this investment. And at that point, uh, you've got to really start evaluating the risk. So are you well suited to store that depending on your living situation? I know that for me, um, you know, my homeowner's policy, for example, doesn't insure my precious metals, nor does the, the bank deposit box maybe outside of uh, a dollar denomination or something if you happen to hold coins. So uh, once again, if you're holding a, a significant amount of metal, you really have to start considering that risk. And I know, you know, there are, um, you know, here in Oklahoma, we have to worry about like tornadoes or natural disaster. Some areas are more prone to theft. Um, and, and once again, if you're on a, a vaulted platform or one gold specifically, you know, these assets are, are fully insured. We actually insure through the Lloyds of London. Um, so that's a consideration. And then, and then lastly, I think uh, for me, I, I enjoy kind of the liquidity of one gold. Uh, I like silver. I don't necessarily like shipping or selling silver. Uh, so the, the ability to kind of sell that immediately and, and quickly get my cash um, is, is appealing. But once again, I'm not a detractor to physical ownership. There is something to be said for holding the asset in your hand. Um, but there's also some unique risks that accompany that there are unlike any other asset. So uh, like I said, I don't think it's an either or solution. I think many of our customers would echo that, that they actually complement each other quite well. Yeah, that's a very balanced take. And I, I, I can see your points there. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, could you talk to us about how the One Gold app works? Um, how people who purchase digital gold and silver can be assured that what they purchase is there? And I think most importantly, you mentioned earlier redemption for physical metal. Maybe you could walk us through how that works. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. So at a high level, uh, One Gold, it, it's a mobile app and it's a desktop experience that allows customers to buy, sell and own vaulted positions of gold, silver and platinum. 
and, and customers can choose any number of secure vaults. So we're talking about like Brinks or Loomis vaults here in the U.S., uh, in Canada and Switzerland or the United Kingdom. Uh, and, and, and sort of how it works is they just set up an account online or download the app. It's, it's very simple. You just need your name, phone number, email address, and um, your sign up. You'll want to create an account in your local currency. So you can you know, have a one gold account denominated in U.S. dollars, Canadian dollars, euros, British pounds. Um, and then from there, you just select the metal and where you would like to have it stored. And essentially what our customers are buying are, are portions of a larger wholesale bar. So we actually have to go out and pre-source metal for all of our locations. Typically, that comes in the form for silver, at least in a 1,000 ounce silver bar. Uh, and then for gold, normally it's a 400 ounce or kilo gold bar. And customers are essentially just buying a position of that. We're assigning ownership to them as they buy that. Uh, once customers have purchased metal on one gold, uh, it no longer appears on our balance sheet. And it's something we're actually pretty transparent about. So every month uh, we do receive from our vaulting partners a confirmation of metal ounces hold at, lo at each location, which we then post to our, our website. Um, and in addition to that, um, we, we do undergo a third-party audit twice yearly. So from a top five accounting firm, they come in and they verify that we have and our customers have what we say they have in each one of our locations. So certainly there's an element of trust and it does help that you're dealing with uh, One Gold and the industry leaders that launched One Gold, but that doesn't cut it for, you know, for, for the end user. We have to provide uh, some level of verification and a system of checks and balances to ensure that we can only sell what's available and, you know, what's being sold is actually there. And so, you know, once our customers actually buy the metal, they can manage that through their mobile app or sell it 24-7, withdraw the cash if they would like. Or, as you had mentioned, uh, they can even convert that to a physical delivery. So at that point, uh, they would convert it to deliverable retail product through our parent company, Atmex. So um, and once they place a redeem order, we'll, we'll ship that to them. They actually have access to any of the, I think, like, 30,000 plus retail items that Atmex offers at this point. So uh, we're pretty flexible there. Like I said, customers can withdraw cash or they can convert it to a, a physical delivery. But that's kind of the, I would say, like 30,000 foot view of, of how kind of one goal works for the user and, and sort of on our end as well, as far as how we manage the inventory. And do you see the importance of, fit, of digital precious metals rising in the years ahead? Um, obviously, I mentioned there's a bit of a hurdle to get over there for your hardcore silver and gold stackers. Um, what do you think some of the catalysts could be that could bring this technology more into the mainstream realm and perhaps have, have retail investors become more comfortable transacting with, uh, with vaulted silver and gold? So I think we have noticed some trends there that drive interest to one gold. Um, one of those is something that I sort of alluded to earlier is when premiums increase on traditional retail products, we really see um, an increase in interest on, on one gold. Um, I'll go back to maybe using COVID as an example. So March 2020, there was this massive sell-off um, and silver, I think spot was just above 11 maybe, and, but you couldn't buy a physical ounce of silver for anything less than maybe $22, $23 at that point in time. So pre premiums were just massively inflated. And so that was kind of the first real influx that we noticed from really just premiums increasing as a whole. So that is something that we've noticed and I think will continue to drive interest in one gold. Um, 
in similar platforms as well. And then just more broadly, I do think that the modern investor kind of likes things at their at their fingertips at times. Uh, and so I think that kind of will lead to more adoption of, of things like uh, One Gold and, and similar platforms. Well, Levi, thank you so much. It's been an awesome conversation. Before I do let you go, um, I'll put links to both One Gold and AppMex in the description below for people who want to check that out. Are there any final words you want to leave the viewers with in regards to to One Gold, AppMex, or the the precious metals market? Sure. Yeah, I would say just check them both out. Um, that's apmex.com and onegold.com. Uh, they both have shoppable apps. Even if you're not actively buying, I think they're uh, they're both a pretty good source to market. So if you're looking for uh, precious metals market news or, you know, price alerts, I think those are both good sources for that. And and even if you are actively buying, not to seem overly promotional, uh, I know we're both running uh, promotions uh, on, on both Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So yeah, yeah, I'd say check them both out. Great. Well, once again, links will be in the description below for anybody who wants to check that out. Thank you once again, Levi, for joining us and sharing your knowledge with the audience. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Commodity Culture is a podcast that covers investing in commodities and natural resources. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe so you are always alerted of the latest episodes.